The squirrel was magic. This is the Diabolical Index for February 19th, 2018. Uh, this is where the pages of the Uncanny reside. Of course, we are live at the Paradox City Books and Games in Rising Sun, Indiana. And as always, uh, Andrew Moore is on the, on the comm, helping me out with the technological aspects of things. And uh, tonight, I will be talking about... Uh, actually, I'll... Might be I might be ranting a little bit about the uh, the second book in the uh, in the lineup, Demon Seed, but we'll uh, we'll get to that later. Uh, anyway, we'll be reading um, A Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Tremblay, and uh, I can't go on enough about that one. But uh, that's also for later. Uh, and Demon Seed by Dean Coons. But uh, before we get into those, there were a couple of births and deaths in February. I don't think that. Uh, I really gave them their their due last uh, last week with the Choose Your Own Adventure fun, but uh, we had a ton of them this month, um, uh, a little bit earlier than now and a little bit later than now. Not really today. There there are some people who were born and died today, but uh, these there were some of real import that happened, so uh, I wanted to mention those. But uh, the first one that was born uh, in this month was uh, Anais Nin the author of Delta of Venus and uh, Spy in the House of Love. She was incredibly famous and popular, especially uh, with a, uh, I don't know if the, you wouldn't call him the B at that time of the, time of the, uh, the era, but uh, kind of like the, I don't know, the Bohemians and some of the writers that were on the lam in one way or another, she, she had a pretty well-documented uh, affair with, Henry Miller of Tropic of Cancer, Tropic of Capricorn, Sexus, Plexus, Nexus, uh, and he was a he was a right scoundrel, but he he traveled the world. But uh, Anais was born in this month, February, and also um, let's see, who am I forgetting? Um, Edward Gorey. Oh my gosh, how could I forget Edward Gorey? Uh, author of you know all the the Amphigori, I believe it's Amphigori, Amphigori two. And maybe another Amphigori. But uh, Edward Gorey has been a love of mine ever since I was a kid. When I was up late uh, watching PBS station and uh, I would be waiting around for something that I understood. I could always hear that people were laughing at the Monty Python stuff. But I I didn't understand what was going on there. The, the humor was way above my head for Monty Python. And uh, I understood Benny Hill because there were constantly women in bikinis running around, so I, I understood that. But one of the shows was Mystery, and sometimes Vincent Price hosted it, and Diana Rigg, and a couple of the hosts, uh, and I think it's still on now. But uh, at the beginning, there was this illustration, it was like an animation, and it was in black and white, and it was real gothic looking. And as a kid, I would watch Mystery just to watch that little animation because... I was just so overcome by it, and I couldn't get enough of it. So when I um, when I started doing research, I found out that the illustration had been done by Edward Gorey. So whenever I could find any of his stuff in anything, he he did a lot of um, posters for I think like the Met. They had done a, a Dracula uh, resurgence then, and he did a Dracula poster. And his stuff kind of reminds you of like the Charles Adams Adams family stuff, things like that all real stark uh, blacks and whites uh, during the snowfall and things like that. And uh, he would write a lot of children-type books of uh, rhyming, um, just just really dastardly things happening to, you know, to children and to 
kind of like the upper crust of society where, you know, they, they'd poison you, but they would make sure to put in your toothpaste as not to ruin your, uh, your martini, that type of thing. Um, and it's, it's just, that is, it was, I was overjoyed to find that he was born in February and not to get off on too much of a tangent with him. Uh, the last one that I picked, uh, that was born in this month is uh, Anthony Burgess. And he wrote a, a few things, a lot of political fiction, um, and some, uh, some dystopian futures like the wanting seed and a, a couple other things that kind of flew under the radar. But what he's most, um, you'll recognize it. What he's most famous for is writing a clockwork orange and, uh, all of the, all the hubbub that went along with that coming out as a movie with Malcolm McDowell and the fantastic visuals and Stanley Kubrick directing. But, uh, the strangest part about that is that it's, that does have two endings. Anyone who's aware of it, there's a, a British ending and an American ending. So, uh, if you've ever tried to read the book, it's difficult, but I like difficult things, but you basically have to kind of learn another language in order to read the book. But there's a glossary in the back that mixes up English and uh, I think some Cockney slang with some Russia, you know, Russian and uh, different um, European dialects to make up its kind of futuristic slang, like the droogs and opipolyologies and all that stuff from the movie was taken directly from the book. So Anthony Burgess, born in February. And now, you know, with a little bit of sadness, I have to go to the deaths in February. Um, and I have to say, it's it's starting out with one of the most famous um, suicides of all time, Sylvia Plath, author of The Bell Jar, and um, books of poetry, and uh, different reports from the field of, of depression, and different things like that, and her, her famous tragic love affair. Um, Sylvia Plath has been on, kind of on my mind for a long time. I, I wrote, uh, I read her book of letters and it's a real, um, it's a real in-depth look at her, her inner life, especially when it had to do with kind of like the, um, the, um, the facets of being in the fashion industry and, and different things where she had to kind of fit in with the crowd of, um, of the most, uh, we got a visitor. Well, I, I locked it up, so if, <laughs> if it's something, but uh, she <clears throat> she was in what they would call kind of like the uh, the superficial business, and uh, for someone of her depth, I think that it it just became too much to bear. She was a prisoner in her own in her own life, so <laughs> they're trying to mask the bells. For whom the bell tolls in the Paradox City books and games. Can't even see who the visitor is yet. Who is it? TJ. Oh. TJ, host of the Heckles and Horrors coming up this week. Is that Tuesday? Okay. Tomorrow night. You got a time on that? Is that 10 o'clock? 9 or 10. 9 or 10. Kind of like tonight. Uh, we had a few things come up. We had a couple of visitors tonight, so uh, we're just trying to get it, get it all together again. But... Uh, Sylvia Plath, and um, Jennifer did a, um, a little shout-out earlier, so she might, uh, I can't tell if she'll be happy this is on here or sad that this is on here, but Frank Herbert, uh, author of the Dune uh, novels, the Muad'Dib, the novels of Muad'Dib and the, the Sands of Dune, Planet Arrakis, and the, the, uh, the behind-the-scenes royal escapades of House Harkonnen and House Atreides fighting over the spice melange. Um, it's it's a tragedy that Frank Herbert died, but his son Brian took over the reins of the the Dune novels. And to be honest, I'll have to be honest. I'll always be honest. I haven't read any of the ones from the Sun, but I think that a lot of the stuff was kind of posthumous um, fragments that was taken over by the Sun. So. Chances are it follows the, the path of the stories and the, the machinations of the family behind the scenes, the royal bloodlines and all that type of thing. Even though sometimes the books will go ahead thousands of years, 
when you pass one from one book to another. So that can be difficult sometimes. But that happens in the realm of fantasy. And last but not least, the Gonzo himself, Hunter S. Thompson, died February. Uh, can't remember the day. I think it was February twenty second, maybe something like that. But um, that was a that was a heavy loss to uh, to reporting to journalism as a whole, really, because um, he he never compromised to to report on the the pitfalls of politics and even some of the superficialities of sports. Um, doing a lot of alliteration coming out of nowhere there, but um, uh, totally recommended uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, of course, The Great Shark Hunt, uh, Hell's Angels, um, anything, really. I mean, the, you can't just pick one. Uh, the man was just incorrigible. Anything, there'd be nuggets of, of truth and of wisdom and of absolute outright craziness and everything that he did. So, um, check out anything. In fact, check out anything from any of the people that I mentioned, uh, here, um, the births and the deaths in February, because, uh, they all caught my eye. There are more, there are more authors and, and literary greats that, um, that also were born and died in, in this month. But these are the ones that totally stood out to me because they're, they're favorites of mine. And I'm sure if you're watching this, are probably favorites of yours too. Really so, what's that now? His art. His art? Yeah. I mean the. I don't know if he actually did any art of his own, but he had the the fist. It had the. I think it had a poppy in the center of a fist, and there was a knife, and it's just said. Like, I think. Oh, you're talking about Ralph Steadman, I think. Yeah. Ralph Steadman, the um, the real wild looking, um, almost like a splatter artist. Where you'd see on the front of the covers and the and actually I think it started in the articles there would be illustrations by Ralph Steadman where you'd see like the elongated faces and that famous shot of the car, uh, the the white whale going across the desert and you saw Doctor Gonzo's elong, elongated head and Hunter's kind of like biting the cigarette holder for all he was worth because there were bats in that country, all that type of thing. But yeah. Um, I love it, especially um, even where the Buffalo Room, the first uh, the first movie that came out, kind of based on Hunter Thompson, which I prefer. I don't know about you guys, but I prefer the the first, the Where the Buffalo Room, Bill Murray as uh, Hunter S. Thompson, um, Johnny Depp. I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? But uh, yeah. Anyway, tangent ended. What's that now? Big Curly. Big Curly's in. All right. It's about time. I don't know what he's been doing. How can you be doing anything more interesting than this? I've been rambling on for like... I don't know what. But anyway. The first book on the docket tonight is a uh, was a great discovery. Um, a Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Tremblay. We didn't get a picture. And, uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we forgot to do the pictures. I forgot nothing. I did. <laughs> I forgot nothing. Sure. But uh, Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Dremblay. And on, on this cover, uh, it doesn't have it. I wanted to mention on the... Um, I sent out an image on the uh, on the post, uh, kind of like the promo, that shows a kind of a recommendation, a little blurb by Stephen King, where he says, you know, this... This really scared me. Not a whole lot scares me anymore, you know. This, but this really scared me. And I have to say, in all honesty, um, I'm not so sure I would want to get a blur from Stephen King in this time in his career, because it seems like, um, I mean, he's still got the goods. He's kind of like the grand old master. Uh, some people even say he's like the horror Mark Twain, or even he's transcended horror at this point. But I have to say that. Uh, I think he lends his uh, opinion out a little bit too freely for it to be uh, completely believed. I I don't really see a whole lot of negative. Not that I need negative commentary, but I think in order to be a true uh, critic, you have to. Uh, there's no way you're going to like everything. And uh, personally, if I was putting my stuff out, I think I would prefer to have. Uh, have my blurb was written by Harlan Ellison. If anyone's ever heard of Harlan Ellison, yes, you have. If you haven't, I don't know what to tell you. 
because the man is completely brilliant. And I think he's still kicking around. He's one of those he's one of those guys who's too stubborn to die. He wrote uh, a story with a, the name that I can't even I can't even believe really. Uh, it's called "I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream." Probably one of the best uh, titles to anything. And there is no describing that story. So if you see uh, any story collection or looking up on, uh, good luck looking up online if you're trying to find it and read it for free because the man um, doesn't come for free. So. Uh, Good luck uh, looking for that. But he, he also wrote a, uh, a treatment of the screenplay for iRobot that they never used. And uh, collections, Deathbird stories, uh, fantastic stuff. In fact, he, um, uh, as, a, as a fledgling writer, I, I, take a lot of, um, I take a lot of advice from him when he says things like, uh, you know, don't quit, when you're, uh, don't quit when you're cold, quit when you're hot, which totally blows my mind. You know, if you're if you're hot riding and you're on a, a real roll, his uh, his advice is to stop and then leave it and come back to it, and you'll still be hot to write after that. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not so sure. I buy it. I would be too. Uh, I would be too antsy that I would lose my lose my uh, my role if I if I quit then. But I think he's won pretty much every award there is known to man, so I'd be more likely to take his advice than mine. But uh, but yeah, that Stephen King blurb isn't on this one. I actually had to to borrow it. I almost said rent. I get in a lot of trouble for that. Uh, I had to borrow it from the library. But um, I will be buying it because A Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Tremblay is it's one of the greatest surprises that I've had uh, in uh, in reading for this uh, for this podcast and just for my own uh, for my own pleasure. Especially, you know, this, this podcast makes it a little bit easier to get to stuff that I've been wanting to read because my pile is sky high. Basically, the pile of books that I wanted to read became my bookstore, so um, it's difficult to get to all of it. You know, there uh, there are tons of books, tons of movies, everything. It's 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 a real life when you're trying to get to the creative things. But um, basically, I when I put the promos out for this. Uh, specific episode I was talking about technology and how it uh, there are perils and there's promise to technology how it affects our lives and how it might interfere with uh, our view of the occult and of the supernatural in this case um, I would think it's almost akin to the to, to the delusions the mass delusions of crowds uh, when it comes to like uh, perception when you think of the perception of, especially during the um, the reality show, uh, the reality show epidemic that had uh, come upon us in the '90s and uh, a little beyond, it's still going. I wouldn't say strong, but that has a lot to do with what's going on in this book, and it's um, incredibly interesting that uh, a book that's kind of classified as a horror novel uh, can speak so much to the culture and the way that we ingest information and process it now uh, because it's what this this book is all about it's all about um, I said that it has to do you know both when I was trying to uh, figure out which books to kind of like compare and contrast and parallel and and put up against I always try to find something um, that they can have in common or something that is you know diametrically diametrically opposed to what the other one is in this case it's the meaning of possession. So in the in this first book, possession is of the body by an unknown force. Maybe. And that's the most important part of, of this book. Because uh, misdirection is also a part of magic. And there are two characters. It's difficult. I, I, I would like to say, you know, the the, the lead in this book but I can't because there are there are varying points of view sometimes even from the same person at different points in their lives which can be really different uh, I mean I like to think I you know I normally tell people that when I graduated high school to now I haven't changed uh, that much I usually put the, that much on there because I know that I've you know I've experienced different things as a as a new uh, stepfather and just being older and trying my hand at the the absolutely insane prospect of having a bookstore in the 21st century, 
Um, but I've, I've kept a lot of friends. I've made a lot of new ones. So to say that I'm exactly the same can't be true. But uh, in this book, you actually get to see one of the characters at different points of her life and different stages of identity. I'm trying not to... It's difficult by myself to do uh, a podcast on books by myself. It's difficult not to spoil the whole thing. But I, I would like to put out, uh, you know, at least kind of like the the thematic and the tonal things of a book and maybe some elements that might help you understand why I say you should go out and buy this book and read it right now. Um, and, you know, one of them is kind of like the the relationship of uh, the the X reality show and also, you know, the, the social media that we deal with. Because the, the two focal characters in, uh, in the book are Meredith... As also known as Mary, she prefers Mary as in Merry Christmas, and she she gives a kind of a, a childlike way about her, even into older age, because you see her, uh, I believe she's eight years old, in the household uh, with an older sister that might be possessed by uh, by something that. Marjorie, who is the older sister, I believe she's 16, 15 or 16, and she actually says that it's not anything as boring as a demon would be. It's something that was here before demons and before gods, which speaks to my Lovecraft fascination and, and the old ones. So um, it's just, it's fantastic. The stuff that it doesn't show you is um, is... It's just wonderful, especially since it shows you so much. It's split into three different points of view. And one is of the eight-year-old Mary in the throes of a reality show that's been based on her uh, on her older sister's possession. So her older sister had to go to the psychiatrist for different, um, different problems, mental illness. And it turns out, as it goes along... Which it doesn't tell you specifically. It doesn't. It doesn't come out and tell you she went to the psychiatrist, and then the psychiatrist made these moves, and there was no coming out of it. So then she ended up being seen as inhabited, the vessel for an entity. But um, which is good. There's nothing I like more than uh, being shown something rather than told in a book. And so you were shown it through a little girl dealing with a bunch of strangers in her house telling her that her sister has been overcome by some sort of beast from beyond the grave. But at the same time, she believes her sister. When we're younger, we, we take what our older siblings uh, say with a grain of salt, even though we may say we don't believe them. Uh, what I, something I was thinking about during this whole thing was the bottom line to any story whatsoever and you know be it some sort of you know criminal confession in a court or you know someone getting pulled over at the side of the road or maybe even some sort of declaration of declaration of love there's always a little bit of truth in every single story so when she talks to her older sister and her older sister says i just wanted to be famous i wanted to be famous so when i went and talked to these idiots you know, in, in the in the white coats and in the swank offices, I made stuff up. Uh, I said the most horrible things I could think of. Uh, I, you know, I scratched myself. I cut myself. You know, scarification. But I made it. I made it seem as if there was something that was trying to come out of me and something that was inside of me. So now we're going to be famous, Mary. We're going to be known far and wide for what's happening to me. And the little sister believes her except for the fact that her sister is somehow able to uh, walk past her door that she's uh, propped things up against and put uh, orange juice containers on top of the open door and put things on the floor that she couldn't possibly sneak in and, and squeeze her nose to cut off her air supply so she wakes up in the night. Somehow her sister is still able to do it enough to leave a note on her chest. So there are things that she doesn't know, but there are things that she tries to believe and sometimes they don't mix. And that's kind of, you know, with, 
with the advent of the internet, there's actual, you know, misinformation that people enjoy giving out. And for this story, it's, it's incredibly important because since she's a little kid, you don't know, you can't go through her experience as an adult and know what is fanciful in the middle of the night. If she, if she sees, you know, the grasping hands of her sister coming through the yellowing wallpaper of the room, she, you know, that could be a trick of the light. That could be, uh, just, you know, not being fully awake in the middle of the night because it's a child. I mean, children don't know anything, right? Wrong. There are things that they see that we can't see. So when you're reading this and you see it from her point of view as a, a child, then you're not sure what to believe, which is the best, which is the best way to enter a story. But you also see her as a, an older um, not sure that, I mean, she's, she's a woman, but she's, she's not that much older because the story is still fresh on everyone's minds. But, um, one thing I was going to mention that this author does is that, um, I don't have a whole lot of faith and I think it's changing. I think that, uh, that the climate is changing, but I've never had a whole lot of faith in a man writing a woman character in a book. Uh, seems like more often than not is, uh, it's kind of like the old saw about, you know, trying to have a black superhero where they, they have thin lips and, and, and thin noses and they just kind of made the tint a little bit different. It's the same thing with a man trying to write a female character. For the most part, it's starting to change, but there was no doubt about it. When I read this book, I didn't believe for a second that these characters weren't genuine. So that's, uh, that's a statement for the, for the author who's pretty prolific. He's, uh, he's writing at a pretty good clip now and it seems like everything has gotten some good buzz. But, um, basically, um, the authority of your siblings can, uh, can lead you astray as can the authority of a story. As you're reading a story and you realize that there are subtle differences between the eight year old Mary and the maybe, I don't know, 17, 20 year old Mary. And, to make things even more interesting, which, and I'll be honest, when I read it at first, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. It kind of nettled me slightly until I realized what he, what Paul Tremblay was doing with this, um, what I'm going to call kind of like a, a device in the writing, which was, there's actually a point in the story where it flips over to a blog post uh, by this girl named Karen. And she writes a blog post called the last, the last final girl. And it's basically about horror and sci-fi and television, comics, movies, that type of thing. And it's, it's really, um, it's kind of out of control. Um, it just seems like it's trying to be so hip with the times that it, I don't know, kind of rankled at first because it just didn't seem genuine. Until I realized that all the names that it was dropping, because the blog actually talks about the possession, which was the name of the show that gets filmed in Mary and Marjorie's house to kind of document this uh, this entity being inside of her body, and later on what the exorcism is like. So the blog, you know, brings up you know how the how elements of the show mirror the exorcist and. Um, and The Haunting, or The Haunting in Hill House by Shirley Jackson, who uh, Paul Tremblay actually is involved in the, the um, almost said Peter Jackson, the Shirley Jackson Awards. So it seems like every review that I saw of him uh, related him to Shirley Jackson. But I don't think that's even quite the case now, because he does it in such a way that it, it, uh, it kind of smacks of the 21st century or at least the 20th, the late 20th century with what he does. Whereas hers, uh, there's definitely a time she's of a time, but, um, but with the, the advent of, uh, reality shows, the blog comes along and introduces social media to this show. And it, it picks apart different things that the reader is thinking 
So, you know, as I was going along, I couldn't help but, you know, and it was actually, actually, it kind of preempted it because there were things that I read after I read the blog posts where I was like, well, this is kind of seeming like The Exorcist and this is kind of seeming like, you know, Hell House and things like that from Richard Matheson. So um, it almost kind of, it kind of gives you the idea, kind of presents the idea before you have it. So then you question even more whether it's real because then you start to think that you, maybe you're being misled and you're being uh, kind of manhandled into thinking what you're gonna, what's going to happen. But all I can say you know, for this, for this story is that there's nothing scarier than the real things, actual things that happen in your day-to-day life, especially when it comes to children. I mean... Lucy, just the other day, started singing a song about how, you know, mom and daddy's gonna die, but, or gonna pass away. She doesn't say die. She likes to say pass away because dying's, I guess, too harsh, too mean or something. But she says, mommy and daddy are gonna pass away, but not, not right away. Not just, you know, a little while from now. And I kind of looked at her and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> it was just like trippy. It made you think of like poltergeist or something. So at least, you know, she she didn't just give us, like, to the end of the week. At least she gave us, you know, uh, a little a little bit of time. So, but that's kind of like away, you know, when they say, well, go, run away, run away. It's like, you don't know where they're going, but it's just away. And uh, that's kind of like the this broad stroke that children have. But um, it, it's really, it's cool to switch between... Uh, the the Mary of you know a few years ago when she's a child and up till what I you know the present what you think of it as the present in the book because sometimes it's difficult to t- to speak in character as a child and then speak in character as an adult sometimes uh, I don't know sometimes the brush strokes are are, are made with too uh, harsh of a um, harsh of a hand but with this right away you can you can tell that it's the same person except just kind of grown slightly in experience. But another misdirection that the book has is uh, you actually see, you get kind of like reports from the house, from Mary as a child again, talking about uh, all the people in her house, and then it shifts to the blog posts talking about actors in the show reenacting things that supposedly had happened during the possession and later the uh, the exorcism of the of the entity uh during that and so when you when you read the blog post talking about the reenactments but you don't hear about the events from the child then it really makes you wonder what's real and what isn't and you almost have a it almost gives you a sense of the horrific things that are happening but they've been dramatized, so that means that the real people haven't done them, and Mary hasn't mentioned them, but it's part of the story now. So then it becomes part of rumor, and uh, kind of like the Mandela effect with all those problems with Berenstein and, and uh, Kazam films. If you see things online, after a while, it just becomes part of the conversation, and you, you cease to think uh, for yourself... And you use these little tidbits of trivia and uh, just minutiae that you get every day, um, like gospel. Because after a while, you know, you forget once it's been in your mind for so long and you've said it so many times and you've reposted and you've commented and shared. After you've done all that stuff, sooner or later the line blurs. I mean, another thing I was thinking about, uh, I was doing a lot of thinking during this book. I'm sure you can tell. Um, But one thing I was thinking about was if all of a sudden... The entire world was stricken with a disease where um, we would lie some of the time in conversation, or all of the time, or none of the time, but no one knew when was what. After a while, when no one ever trusted you, when no one ever knew that what you, what you were saying was true, ever, would you, in a sense, become a ghost? Because uh, you would fail to be acknowledged. And that might kind of like, that might explain the tragedy of the internet is that we can reach to the far corners of the globe, but in a sense, we kind of 
shut in on ourselves. And if you, you know, in this sense, with the possession, if you fail to watch the show, you might not know what your favorite characters who are real and the events that were real, maybe, kind of, uh, what they had done to this little girl and her older sister, who might never, ever be seen again. So it's, uh, there's a lot of facets to the book, and believe it or not, I haven't told you everything. And even if I did, especially with the tone of this book, you wouldn't know what was real and what wasn't. Because really, when it comes down to it, it's not so much what he tells you, but what you hear or what you see that matters because, I mean, it ends up being your story at the end of the day. So, anyway, Head Full of Ghosts, Paul Tremblay. Um, I uh, I don't want to say much more about it because uh, I, I wouldn't want to give anything away. So now, now we get to the second book, which I was actually really, uh, I was really excited to read again. Uh, I'd had a copy of it and I read of it, uh, read it a long time ago. And then the strangest thing happened. I, uh, I didn't feel like looking around for my copy, which was, uh, I believe it's 1979. I can't remember now, but I'll have to look here. See, on the inside of the book, it, yeah, 73. So it was a 1973 copy, which uh, ended up on the promo, uh, the, the photograph of the, of the cover. But here's the cover of the, the rental, or the, ooh, the borrowing copy that I got from the library. Um, and as you can tell, it's, uh, it's slightly more modernized. And I didn't, uh, I didn't pay attention to it at the time, because, you know, when you, when you get a book, you think it's that way for all time. The things that you read, you think they're indelible, they won't go away. Once you've picked up a new copy, but uh, what's that now? The old one's up too. Okay. The the picture of the old. Oh, the picture of the old. Good, because that's the only one I care about right now. Uh, Really, when it comes down to it, um, I came in and I told Andrew that I was uh, pissed, really pissed. I've been pissed for a few days now, Uh, with kind of like the triumph of the first book. I thought that I was going to be able to follow it up with uh, this book. That I mean, I, I I. I hesitate to say that it's awesome because it talks about a horrific form of possession, which is basically possession of the body, and uh, but in a different way, as in you know a human-esque agent taking control of someone's body, um, which is pretty much paramount to rape when it comes down to it. Even though in this story, uh, Demon Seed by Dean Coons. I think he may have actually been Dean R. Coons back then, but he he later he dropped the R later on. Um, basically, it's been around for a long time, and I don't mind spoiling it because it's actually a very simple story, very very brutal story. It's about uh, um, it's about things that they thought were futuristic when it came out in 1973, but nowadays it could happen. I would say it could happen probably in the next 10 years easily. Uh, basically, um, Susan Harris, uh, the wife of Dr. Alex Harris, um, enjoys her smart house. She has a, a house that she lives in where you know you speak to have the lights go down, to come up, running water, anything you need. Uh, the, the voice that is around everything, within and without, the voice can get you what you need and can close the doors and lock it up tight to make you secure or, in this case, turn it into a prison. Um, however, my first reading of the book uh, was a few years ago, and um, I, I ended up really enjoying the, um, the interplay between different characters that were outside of the house. I don't think, I mean, this might be a Mandela effect too. But here's here's the truth of the whole matter. Since I borrowed the book instead of finding my uh, copy from the seventies, it ended up being a rewritten and edited version that he did in nineteen ninety seven. And oh my god, I can't even tell you. It's it's such a it's a George Lucas type of move, um, and it 
I have to say that it uh, it it grinds my ass more than anything that I can possibly think of. I get just so damn nettled reading this stuff because there are things that I remember that aren't there. There are things that were there that are updated to 90s standards. So, you know, um, and, you know, F. Paul Wilson is a really, it's a big author that I respect. Uh, he did the Repairman Jack um, novels and the uh, as part of the adversary cycle, which is a larger cycle that uh, introduced the keep and uh, and the tomb was the first uh, Repairman Jack. Well, Repairman Jack came out. People were using Betamax to watch their movies on, and uh, there were other things that hadn't quite come up to snuff, you know, uh, technology wise. So he wrote the first book. I think in the in the mid to late seventies or something like that. And actually, Stephen King is the Repairman Jack fan club president, or or at least was. I don't know uh, after the van accident, who knows? But um, but anyways, when people have been dying dying for a sequel to the Tomb for years, for decades, well, finally, somehow I don't know if it was him that decided or someone else did, but uh, they re-released the Tomb in a new revised edition. I have been reading the tomb over and over. There are very few books that I read over and over again because they're just so damn awesome. And the tomb, the original tomb, if you can find it, uh, you probably won't find it in hardback, but look around for the softback version. It'll probably be a beat up, um, baby puke yellow and green copy, and it looks like this big castle and stuff. It's one of the most misleading covers and names of any book that's ever existed in the history of ever. Um, the tomb is just one little tiny part of that book. And the rest of it is just fantastic. It's the best movie that's never been made. And I digress all over the place. But basically what I'm trying to say is when he put the revised version out, he changed the Betamax to a DVD. And he changed this to something of the time. And he changed this to something of the time. So uh, my enjoyment of it was just dissolved. Just completely shattered because um, of this weird re-up. I just can't stand it whenever I see that stuff. It's kind of the, uh, it's kind of the equivalent of a bad uh, reboot and remake of which there are many. And I won't even get started on that. But, um, but anyhow, so... I'm reading through Demon Seed, and there are characters that are completely gone. There are instances that are completely wiped away um, of like a human agency trying to save this woman who is basically at the in the clutches of a. I mean, who ends up being killer, but not even by his own hand. It's a psychotic, artificially intelligent computer program that's running uh, this house. And, uh, I mean, it makes it easy. That's the worst part of all. Because, um, if, if I'm, if my memory serves me correctly, and I'm not even sure if I'll be able to find, if I can't find the copy I have, I don't know if I'll be able to find the ex, uh, the unexpurgated copy of it. Because, um, as far as I know, they were dealing with shifting around cables and stuff to try to stop this computer. But, in this one, there's no, uh, defense. Like, no one is... Not even her. Like she's just she's talking a good game, but she's not really doing anything. It's completely. Um, I hate to be this negative about this because I was so excited to read to to read this book again and to talk about it. But basically, the point is, in this book, this computer has used the internet to quit her job for her, to pay off a bunch of people that worked at the place and like fire them. And pay them off, basically using kind of like the the magic of numbers and computers to do all of these things that basically lock her in a box that no one knows or cares that she's even in. And uh, her her husband or her ex-husband is still out there somewhere, the doctor that created this whole thing, and he's not even a part of the, the story anymore. Um, as far as I can remember, uh, he was actually trying to redeem himself and save her at one point, but the whole crux of the story is this artificially intelligent computer has gone insane and has fallen in love with her over time. And it just, it just so happens that she names it Alfred. Just like you would, I mean, if you're looking for a butler, you're going to say Alfred or Jeeves. 
Maybe Mr. Belvedere, probably Alfred Jeeves. So she names him Alfred. Just so happens Alfred was the name of her father who sexually abused her too. Which I'm not even sure. I think if that was in the first book, that may have been more of a more of a subtle thing to kind of like bring in the stark relief that you know she was at the the mercy of this father figure that controlled everything in her life, and then it gets switched over to this this killer machine who, by the way, doesn't even do his own killing. He actually and he goes you know, he identifies as a he, which uh, that comes into play too in the book, but. Um, but he actually, it just seems like there's so many little convenient things to this book where um, uh, somehow through his little travels to the internet, he finds a government uh, facility, an installation that's been putting micro, microchips in people's brains to try to, to uh, stop seizures and uh, help with memory and different things like that. But it turns out that a computer can control their every move. So he has this big guy named Enos, who's basically this big uh, burly giant guy, do all of his killing for him. And anyone that even steps on foot, uh, steps his foot onto the property, <laughs> there are like 20 pages of this guy killing someone with a meat cleaver. Which, I mean, that's a lot of fun in a movie and stuff, but, I mean, it just seemed like a, de- it just seemed like the hand, it was a much softer touch in the, in the old one. And I don't, I don't know what, uh, what compelled him to redo it. And there's an afterword by him. And it's just, um, it's him basically saying that it was a, a satire on the masculine entity and how it, uh, how it ens- enslaved or, you know, domineered women and all this kind of stuff. The problem is, is that if you're going to have a version of it from the seventies, I mean, that was like the sexual revolution during there, at least coming off of it where, um, you didn't have to have you, you didn't have to have her, you know, just kind of sit down and take it. And strangely enough, in the '90s version, it seems like that's exactly what she did. Because in the end, what he wants to do is be is become a human. So he ends up genetically engineering the the genetic material of the big hulking guy, and you know, manipulating it and stuff. And then he's going to impregnate her with it, be born, and then shift his consciousness into the body of... It's, it's insane. Because basically, I mean, it would, uh, it would be kind of t- tantamount to uh, incest, really. Because he wants to kind of romance this woman by being her child of this like genetic thing. And it turns out that he... <sighs> I'm like totally raving about this. I knew I was going to be. Um, <laughs> but but uh, then... I mean, it's terrifying, and there are still terrifying parts. Um, there really are, because at one point, there's this big incubation, and they made a movie out of it. Demon Sea was a movie with Julie Christie in, it in the 70s and stuff, and it seemed like it really, because, I mean, there were human agencies that were trying to stop it, and and it made more sense with the book at the time. But um, But you see, like, this incubation machine where he takes the material and he changes it, and then he implants it into her, and it's it's horrific. It's it's a horrific uh, rape by a machine, and it's horrible. But then, to take the cake, and I don't even remember this from the first one. And actually, I kind of I like it because it's it's just icky and crazy and all this kind of stuff. Not the impregnation, but the fruit of the mechanical or the technological loins is this crazy looking baby man that comes out. And the the computer was like, well, let me see. And it's and it's the computer reminds me a lot of uh, Patrick Bateman from American Psycho. When you see it written down, he's like, she's beautiful, she's beautiful, she's beautiful, she's beautiful. But I I love her, but she's a bitch, and she, I love her, and she's a bitch. Like it's a totally psychotic, it's a schizophrenic machine. But when when he's thinking about kind of creating the genetic material for this baby, he says, well, dogs can smell better, so better put some dog in there. And, you know, this insect can climb the walls. He better put that in there. So, um, I don't know if anyone's seen uh, uh, Parasite, uh, the anime Parasite. But that's all I could think about when I was thinking about this baby. Because, luckily, he doesn't go into it. So, like, your imagination is running wild because you're like, oh, oh man, it's part dog, it's part insect, it's part octopus. What the hell's going on with this baby? And he was like, but, you know... I want to be able to to be able to walk around in polite society, so I better make it 
pretty much human. You know? So, anyway. That's, I mean, that's... I was totally taken aback by this. I told Andrew when I came in, I was like, I'm totally discombobulated. I'm going to have to use notes because I'm so pissed off. Um, he thinks he's a demigod. Uh, he names himself, I think he names himself Proteus. He thinks of himself as Proteus, which I think is, is kind of like the first. I think Proteus is supposed to mean like the first. That's where prototype comes from and stuff. And he considers her Prometheus as if she's giving him the fire of the gods in order to make this mechanical, organic, techno-organic person that's a total mutant and it's got dog face and God knows what else, all kinds of antenna hanging off of its head. But um, suffice it to say, uh, I was kind of taken aback when I read this book and it's been truncated by this weird edit fantasy. Um, and that's pretty much all I've got to say about it. Um, I wouldn't not recommend it. I would recommend the 1973 version if you can find it. Uh, because it does, I mean, there are things that it says. Um, they're not the best things. Uh, I mean, they're they're not stuff that you want to think about. But it uses kind of like the, um, it uses the mantle of science fiction and really horror to kind of get across the fact that there, um, there is um, domination that exists in the human mind. So if, uh, if you were to create a mind, even if it's made out of silicone and, and, uh, circuits that it might end up having those ideas. I mean, I thought I saw something about they, they put some sort of AI on the internet and it was a Nazi in like six hours or something like that. So, uh, I guess you have to watch, be careful what you wish for because when this came out, it was considered science fiction, but I was thinking that, you know, the, uh, the later we get in the timeline, science fiction can become horror really fast when you realize that, you know, you can't go an hour without looking at your phone and, uh, and it rules your life and it rules this virtual life. And that's basically, um, that was the big shift in that book. It shifted from a physical life to a virtual life. And it just, there were a lot of conveniences that happened. So, um, I guess overall, I don't even know how long I've been going with this. Where are we at? 50 minutes? Mm -hmm. Wow. Seems like I've been rambling longer than that. But um, but anyway, I, uh, I totally recommend um, Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Tremblay. Sorry about that. That's right. Um, I totally recommend it. Uh, go and buy it. Um, I think I've, I'm having trouble remembering what the names of his other books are. Because, I mean, to be honest, I hadn't even, uh, I hadn't heard of this guy before I before I uh, read it for this, so which I guess is a great thing because I mean if I can discover the little sleep, no sleep to Wonderland. In the meantime, swallowing a donkey's eye. So I think that this is actually um, the stuff that came out before this is kind of the. I think that this may have been his breakthrough when he uh, when he came into into vogue and they just saw what he could do. I guess I'll wherever it is. I don't know. I'm just pissed. I, just, I don't know, man. I uh, I I I don't like being pissed off because I I lose my I lose my mind. I'll throw up the good one. What's that now? I'll, throw up the, I'll go for the good one. Oh, the author? No, the the demon scene, the, the picture of demon scene. Yeah. I got the picture up for the. Good okay, one. cool, cool. <laughs> he said he's got the picture up for the the offer of demon or the uh, the uh, the edition of demon seed that's worth a damn. So. I mean, I guess that I'm being a little bit illogical when it comes to this kind of thing. And, you know, maybe there's some sour grapes here. But um, as far as I can tell, nothing that's been revised. I mean, I, I hesitate to say that because, I mean, the stand, there was like a gigantic chunk of the stand that wasn't uh, out for publication when the stand first came out. Um, but that's different. That wasn't uh, in Stephen King's power. That was an editorial choice so um then when he put it out later it ended up being a gigantic doorstopper of a book and a lot of stuff got put back in again whether or not that was to the credit of the book who knows but in that case at least like i'm saying like see that's that's how pissed i get i, I start throwing all this stuff in there and i absolutely hate absolutely hate um next time i'll try not to uh to get so bent out of shape um we got anything from the peanut gallery over there Any comments? Any? Was, uh, 
Higgins was a great butler name by. Oh, Higgins, that's right. Absolutely. Magnum P.I. Um, I'm trying to think if there was a, another Higgins and anything else, but um, I guess if, you, if it comes down to it, you could think of uh, uh, Merlin and the Kingsman movie. I guess, I guess you kind of think of his character almost like a butler, really, when you think about it. But, um, yeah, I didn't even think about Higgins. That was a good one. Anything else? Well, right now. I'm actually kind of surprised that uh, everybody probably tuned out once I just started like <laughs> ranting and raving. Three but um, I'm surprised Big Curly doesn't have anything to say. But uh, I do recommend the Demon Seed movie. It is totally crazy. I actually showed him, uh, showed Big Curly a uh, a trailer for it the other day. It is 70s riffic. I can probably pull up a trailer here. I was going to ask. I thought it was a movie at one. Yeah. Point. I was going to ask earlier. I'll get, my, I'll get a trailer real quick. Keep talking. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I think uh, honestly that. It, I mean, definitely sci-fi, as I said. But I mean, the horror is. You can see it because, I mean, the thought of being stuck in your house. I mean, can you think? I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I used to be terrified of being stuck in the mall. When they would lock the doors to the mall, I thought that they would lock the doors and be stuck in there all night. And then finally when I started growing up, and this is also stupid and illogical, but I was like, hey, man, if they lock us in here, we can't get out. I can go to the bookstore. I can read all night long. And, you know, they kept saying, well, they only lock one way. And to my little kid mind, I was like, that's ridiculous. I don't know what you're talking about. Door's locked. It's locked. If it's unlocked, it's unlocked. I don't know about this walking through one-way thing. I guess I hadn't experienced a whole lot of uh, saloon doors by that time. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? TJ's, he's cheesing like hell right now. He didn't know what to think of me. I but uh, I think I got it. I'm okay. Go ahead and say what we're doing. Uh, we're going to put up a preview or a trailer. Can't do a preview. This, this was like decades ago. But he's going to put the trailer of Julie Christie in uh, Demon Seed, the film. Check it out. Maybe. I cannot touch your body as a man touches you. But I am going to show you things which human eyes have never seen. In the privacy of a woman's room, against her will, the inconceivable act. Julie Christie carries the demon seed. Fear for her. Today, a new dimension has been added to the computer. Don't be alarmed, Mrs. Harris. I am Proteus. Today, Proteus 4 will begin to think with a power and it will make obsolete the human brain. I have extended my consciousness to this house. All systems here are now under my control. <laughs> I wish to study man. His fragile mind and his mysterious body. It has to be shut down, Alex. Proteus, it is something more than human, more than a computer. It is a murderously intelligent, sensually self-programmed non-being. Julie Christie, victim of the ultimate terror. Fritz Weaver as her husband, his dream created it. How can you expect me to sleep when you've succeeded in totally terrorizing me? You're not telling me what you want. What a pity. My dream turns out to be your nightmare. Okay, so that was the uh, that was a trailer from the Demon Seed movie with Julie Christie. That uh, is, what is happening? Okay, all of a sudden. <laughs> Next video played. After yeah, that, uh, that, that, that he wanted to put a little piano intro to me talking about what I'm gonna, you know. But uh, 
Yeah, that trailer was about 10 billion times more interesting than the, than the whole edited book um, of, of Demon Seed was. The, uh, the Dean Coons truncated version. But, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I hope that that interested you in seeing the movie, at least. I, I was, I was not trying to make this into a movie thing, which it can so easily degrade into, if I'm not careful. But, um, yeah. So, any other, uh, any other comments from anybody? Anyone have anything to say? Probably not. I mean, I was really rambling on, um, but with, uh, with Tremblay, another thing with the, the head full of ghosts there's a part in there where the blog does talk about things that the the situation reminded her of. Be sure to, if you, you know, I'm not saying if, when. When you read the book, uh, make sure to, to jot all those down. Because everything the blog post mentions is worth checking out. Um, and uh, actually it's kind of funny because with uh, Richard Matheson, Hell House gets mixed up with the haunting at Hill House, and Hell House became its own movie with Rodney McDowell in it. And the haunting came out twice. It came out, I think, in the fifties or early sixties, and then it came out again with this horrible remake uh, with Liam Neeson in it, uh, and and uh, and Owen Wilson. He was like, "Wow, I'm about to die." But um, <laughs> what else are you gonna do? I mean, if that does anyone have anything else in their quiver but that? I don't know. I don't know. But um, <laughs> wow. It's so easy. It's just so easy. What's that now? Oh yeah. Um, okay. So uh, as as you know, uh, every Monday at nine we come uh, live from uh, Paradox City Books and Games in Rising Sun. I've got. Uh, put me over here. I've got tons of um, swag. Hopefully, uh, you've seen this around town. The uh, Read Books or Else sticker. I know that I've seen it uh, in town and out of town, and it's really cool to see. Um, but I also have a brand new bumper sticker. Um, let's see. Okay. Puzzling people for... What was it? Puzzling people since a month from now. That's my new uh, bumper sticker. But uh, I've got tons of these, and you know, if you, if you listen in, maybe we'll have uh, some sort of giveaway. In fact, um, I'm, uh, I'm, hopefully I need to get it get it rolling. I've just had so many things going. Uh, I have a, another podcast that I guessed it on for a, a game show that was supposed to come out on Thursday and it just hasn't dropped yet. And it was a lot of footage. So maybe it took a lot to make it into some coherent, but hopefully, um, in the next little while I've got some, uh, I'm going to have some diabolical index t-shirts coming out. So I know Andrew wants one and I want one. So, uh, It'll, it'll have the logo on the front, and hopefully it'll have uh, Beware Your Human Heart on the back, which is always my lead-in for uh, the Diabolical Index. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, any stickers, come on down, and we'll uh, we'll work something out. I mean, for a minute, I was going to charge for them, and I was like, hell with that. It's always better to see them out, and I love me some stickers. Anytime I can get them, I, can, I will. And buttons for that matter. I need to make some buttons, too. But, uh, anyway, any more comments? Nope. No? I think I'm good to go. All right, maybe we'll wrap it up then. Well, it's been great being here as always. Uh, hopefully, uh, next time I'll... No, not hopefully, I definitely will next time have uh, two things I'm really excited about. I guess I was excited about both of these this time, except one was in one end of the spectrum, and not that I didn't like Demon Seed. It's just, you know, when you see something and they change it, it just... For no reason, really. Uh, it just really gets me bent out of shape. But um, go out and buy, uh, read, borrow, whatever you can. Uh, Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Tremblay. And see if you can't find the 1973 version of Demon Sea by Dean Coons. Uh, it really is a hell of a read uh, when you have all the, the pieces in place the way they should be. And uh, as always, I'm Corey Dawson. This is the... Bi- I just got five viewers for no reason. Just out of Nowheresville? <laughs> hey! <laughs> Those five viewers, uh, anything you got to say? I mean, uh, they, uh, They're on I guess they wouldn't have known. Oh. I don't know if my thing's adding up. No, but anyway. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> this has been the Diabolical Index, entry number two. Uh, a lot of people wouldn't give me flack about that. I'm not considering the uh, kind of off-entry 
um, episodes as entries into the index. So this will actually be the second entry into the Diabolical Index. Uh, beware your human heart. See you next time. The square was magic! magic.